Nick, with all the things that have been happening, the pandemic, the isolation, police controversies, racial unrest, the economy, a presidential election that was really uncomfortable for a lot of people, how would you describe what the, the social climate is, the situation in America right now? Yeah, I mean, great question. I think it is certainly uh, far from stable. You know, I think people are restless. I think people are uh, isolated. You know, you you see these reports of mental health issues being uh, skyrocketed, uh, domestic abuse. Um, and, And I just see it spiritually that people are asking questions because all of the things that people normally place their hope in have been shaken over the last year or 18 months. And so I think that all of this is pointing to a great spiritual hunger. And I even believe and am believing for a great awakening. So you feel that people's hearts may be more open due to circumstances? I think people are more open now than they've been any time in my life. Um, I'm in my 30s. But even reading history, I mean, there has been few times in the history of the world where you have the entire earth united in crisis, whether that's the global pandemic or, as you mentioned, political unrest, racial unrest. These aren't uniquely American issues. I mean, these are happening around the world. And so I really believe that all of these things have created an openness and an opportunity. And so we've seen more people coming to Christ, more people seeking answers, more people seeking resources than ever. And I'm hearing that true from many ministries and leaders around the world. Now, something you just mentioned reminded me of all the the migration of mass people groups, like in the Middle East and from Central America, uh, even in Southeast Asia, you know, people trying to get out of one country, go to another country, situations. What's up with that? Yeah, well, I think, you know, we are living in a time when there is a lot of conflict, a lot of unrest, a lot of changes happening. I mean, you could think like revolution, you could think, you know, and all of that, I think social media feeds it. And, uh, you know, there's connectivity like never before. Um, But again, I'm an evangelist, Uh, you could talk to a, a prophet, and they'll maybe speak of the judgment that you know, places are under or people are under. Um, I just believe, and I'm seeing this, whether I'm on an airplane or whether I'm traveling in different corners of the country or overseas, people are asking the big questions right now. And people are looking for hope. They're looking for answers. And we know that the ultimate answers will never be found apart from Jesus. Now, As far as the church goes, uh, churches across America and so forth, have you talked to a lot of pastors who sense that ministry needs a new direction right now, outreaches need a a new way to go that we maybe haven't done before? Absolutely. I mean, I think church has to change. I think people have had to adapt in ways that they've never experienced before. In many ways, I think this pandemic and all of the things that have gone on have forced people to either innovate or potentially uh, have an end to the way that they've done things. And personally, like I see that as a good thing. Um, I think that there is so much change and so much, as you mentioned, you know, migration of people groups, change in technology, change in the language of culture. And I really believe that God is on the move and that it has to look different. You know, the Billy Graham team early on in their ministry their slogan was changing with the times and yet anchored to the rock. 
And so I think that there are ministries and churches and pastors that are on the wave of culture, riding it, adapting to it, not changing the truths of Jesus, but meeting people where they are. And I think in those grassroots, maybe unpolished areas, there is more searching, more questions being asked, more people coming to Christ, and it is a really exciting time to be alive. You recently held a uh, a rally in Minneapolis. I believe it was called God Lives Here, and some very encouraging things happened. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, we had hundreds of people from, you know, literally churches throughout the Twin Cities rally together, and uh, we weren't trying to do anything massive. I mean, this was really just a demonstration in terms of saying people are moving out of the cities, you know, people are moving to places like Texas or, you know, Florida, or uh, people are moving to the suburbs and, uh, you know, trying to play it safe as if that is, a, is an option, you know, but I just think this is an opportunity for us as the Christian to say that wherever people are hurting, uh, God lives here and uh, that he calls us and uh, welcomes us to join him next to those who are hurting and vulnerable and, and asking the big questions. And so, man, we went and we had a prayer march right through the streets of Minneapolis. Uh, we were able to pray with police officers, pray with people. There was people even outside of one of the, the strip clubs in downtown that some of the bouncers came to Christ even during the prayer march. And then we saw eight people just baptized right there in downtown. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is something that has sparked a movement now where we're going across the country with these God Lives Here rallies, really just trying to invite believers to pray, to march, to join hands, to lift up the name of Jesus, and really to put feet to our faith. There have been times where certain churches or ministers may have been very cautious about explaining about the gospel and heaven and elsewhere in eternity. Do you sense that there is a a craving or desire for, for boldness about, you know, tell us the truth about heaven and earth and eternity and Jesus? I think that the truth of the gospel has never been more needed, more wanted, and people being more open to it. I mean, when you think about truth as we know it in culture, I mean, typically people would put their hope in things like politics or science, and yet we're coming out of this season, or even their bank account, and we're coming out of this season where nobody knows what to believe, nobody knows who's telling the truth, nobody knows what's right, what's wrong. And so in the midst of all kinds of uncertainty, I think there is a desperation for an actual authority, an actual source of truth. And so when we can point to the fact that there is a God who knows, there's a God who's in control, that, that Jesus offers a better way, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and uh, man, that we can have a life built on him. Like I just am finding people Everywhere I go, servers at restaurants, a person I sat next to on the airplane a couple nights ago, my neighbor. I mean, these are all people who are hungry, open, even the kid who comes over and helps me with my lawn in the neighborhood. I set up an appointment with him today to get together and just talk about God. I just find that right now people are open. If we're willing to listen, if we're willing to ask the questions, I think there's people out there who are really a longing for someone who cares enough to hear them, to see them, and ultimately to point them to the hope that God has for them in Jesus. As an evangelist, I'm sure you have run into 
a lot of uh, resistance or questions or prove-it-to-me type stuff. What are the major roadblocks or interference factors you see when you're trying to lead someone to Christ? What tries to block the way? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple things. I mean, one, I think, is people want to know that you actually care about them. And so I just think that often we're too busy and, uh, you know, we're too busy going through our day. We're too busy going from thing to thing to thing. Like we don't actually have time for people in our lives who need God. And, and I think that I think if we're willing to make time for people, I think there is a literal famine of people being heard right now. And so I, I tell people right now, it's like everybody is shouting and nobody knows what they're talking about and nobody is actually listening or feeling heard. And so I just go out and I ask questions and I try to show that I care and I apologize for pain or things they're going through. I don't try to judge their pain or dissect it. I try to listen and I'm praying and I'm asking God to show me the doors. Now I would say the other opposition that has really spurred up in this particular season in history is there is a lot of Christians who have been very vocal politically or about many social issues that to the culture can come across as very condemning and mean-spirited. And so sometimes the very thing keeping people from Jesus is the Christian. And so I think we're living in an age where people are so desperate for love. They're so desperate for hope. They're so desperate for somebody who cares. And we have to be willing to go where Jesus would go. And he was called a friend of sinners. You know, he was in there with it. Uh, loving them, standing with them, even when he maybe, you know, wasn't agreeing sometimes, but he was sitting with that woman at the well, or he was kneeling next to that woman caught in adultery. And yes, pointing to truth, but only after he was willing to be there with them. And I think that's where I think we're called to be as the church, to get at people's level, to love them, to be with them. And then yes, to point them to a better way. So that's really a one-on-one thing that that an individual Christian can do, like you said, with the lawnmower guy or with your dentist or someone at the store, right? A hundred percent. I mean, I just find, I ask questions of the barista at the coffee shop or the server at the restaurant, um, asking them about their story, asking them about their dreams, asking them how they're doing. I mean, I was, I was getting my hair cut the other day and the lady told me she didn't believe in God and hated God and hated Christians. I hadn't even told her anything about who I was or what I did. And then we get to the end of the conversation and she asked, what do you do anyway? And I said, actually, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a preacher. And uh, she said, Oh my, I'm so sorry. And I just said, no, like I understand a lot of times people can be mean and I'm sorry for what happened to you. I just want you to know that God loves you. And I want you to know that Jesus is real. And uh, you know, and then I was able to share with her a little bit, but you know, it's, it's earning the right to be heard. And frankly, anybody can do this of just going out there and actually just saying, God, would you bring people across my path that need someone? They don't need an expert. They just need someone who cares. And you, of course, uh, in, in sitting there while your hair is being cut and, and hearing her complain, you exercise a, a lot of discipline and self-control. You did not become combative, right? Never. No, I mean, it's never, no one has ever argued into the kingdom of God. I I really don't think that you're in a shouting match or trying to tell somebody they're wrong. And 
And we see a lot of this on social media, you know, people going on and just saying things that are mean. And, and I actually, when people say things that are mean to me, I'll personally message people and say, Hey, I'm really sorry. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I just want you to know, like, it's okay. And man, God loves you. And I'm not here to like even get mad at you for saying that about me. Uh, and, and many times those people will apologize. I've even had people come to Christ in that. I just think it's, are we willing to lay our lives down, lay our pride down and ask God, God, what would you say in this moment? What would you do in this moment? How can I join what you're already doing? Because I assure you that if you're in a conversation with people and God is coming up, God is already at work. The Holy Spirit is already moving. Our job isn't to save them. Our job is to sow the seed. Our job is to love, and our job is to point to the one who can save. Now, you have a book out called Reset, which I would imagine, I've not been able to read it, but would talk about some of these things as well. Tell us what's in Reset. Yeah, Reset is just a story, uh, man, it's a pretty organic story about hundreds of thousands of young people who were turning to Jesus and, you know, then we basically, it's the story of how that all happened and how it's spreading and then taking issues that I would say are very common in our day that people are asking for a second chance from. So you can think of this as a prayer of Jesus, would you reset my faith? Jesus, would you reset my purity? Jesus, would you reset my relationships? And so these are all like real life stories of people who this is their prayer and then it's, it's telling the story of how God is resetting that and then also applying the truths of Scripture to these different areas of life. And, and the whole message of the book is that God offers a second chance to you that Jesus is the ultimate supernatural reset of God, that you can be free and you can find your footing. And, uh, and yeah, so it's, it's stories of, of a modern-day you know, student-led movement, which I think we all could use more stories like that. And then it's stories of lives being changed, which I think is one of the fuels of our faith is just realizing that, you know, it's the it's the word, word of God and the power of the testimony. And, uh, man, we just think there's something about God changing lives that really can ignite that hunger in each of us. And this is a word that we don't hear a whole lot anymore. Do you think it's possible that revival could take place uh, in the United States and elsewhere? You know, if I didn't believe it, I wouldn't be doing, you know, what I'm doing. I'd, I'd be selling something and trying to make a lot of money doing it. You know, I, I just, I've given my life to the belief and the hope that this is a revival generation. And, and honestly, since we started, you know, we've seen hundreds of thousands of people give their lives to Jesus. We're seeing a generation praying, fasting, giving sacrificially. Um, to, to put it in perspective, from 2011 until the beginning of the pandemic, we had seen 6 million people come out to these gatherings and 600,000 give their lives to Christ. And then the pandemic hit and all of our events shut down, but this young team pivoted and mobilized. And now since the pandemic started, we've seen 300 million people hear the gospel and, and almost 1.6 million people respond to the gospel. And so I mean, these aren't things I'm just saying, like we are seeing hunger that is at historic levels of people turning to Jesus, finding the life they're looking for. And so I do believe this is a revival generation. 
sometimes I wonder if we're even in the midst of it already, and we just won't know until we look back. But I believe that God is at work right now for those that have eyes to see it and are willing to say yes. And I am hearing and reading more and more about the need for discipleship when someone has accepted Christ, the next step to, to grow in him. Yes, couldn't, couldn't agree more. You know, Jesus never called us to go and make decisions. He called us to go and make disciples. And so, you know, and, and I think that's one of the refreshing things about this generation is they don't want to be a part of a, of a club. They want to be a part of a movement. You know, they even want to be a part of something that has a cost. And so, you know, everything we do is partnered with local churches, is partnered with Bible studies. You know, we've even launched a digital discipleship platform called Move Closer, you know, really trying to equip life-on-life discipleship and disciple-making to give believers, even when they're starting, the tools to say, how do I follow Jesus? How am I anchored in Scripture? How am I understanding the role of the church in my life and uh, and being connected? And so, man, we, we are all about wanting to activate and unleash a generation of disciples, not attendees, this isn't about a program. This is about relationship. And uh, yes, I, I think discipleship and evangelism are two sides of the same coin. And we need to reclaim that, man, you can't do discipleship without it resulting in evangelism. And there really shouldn't be evangelism that doesn't result in discipleship. All right. Nick Hall, we appreciate you sharing your heart with us. Hey, thank you for the time.